The OMTG Taps is brought to you by StarCityGames.com. The culmination of Season 1 of the StarCityGames.com Open Series is coming up soon in Indianapolis. On June 3rd through the 5th, join hundreds of other players vying for an invitational slot in the Last Chance Grinders and stick around to battle it out in the standard Legacy and Draft Opens and compete for the glory, the money, and the prestige of moving up in the ranks of the SCG Players Club. With side events galore and live coverage courtesy of SCG Live, it'll be an action-packed weekend that you won't want to miss. So make plans to join StarCityGames.com at the Invitational in Indianapolis, and we'll see you there. Everybody and welcome to episode 67 of Yo MTG Taps. I'm Joey Pasco, and I'm Big Head Joe with a robot. Ball. No, not yet, but uh, we may be experiencing some uh, some robot voice from Joe having some issues with his uh, his internet connection and apparently also cell phone connection. So, uh, <laughs> hope, hopefully a little bit. Uh, ho- hopefully it'll not be too bad. Um, pretty exciting weekend, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Grilled some uh, portobello, uh, teriyaki portobello mushroom caps uh, with bacon and blue cheese. Um, made the burgers out of those. It was really nice. We, uh, you're obviously not vegetarian if we uh, put bacon on there. But uh, yeah, that was pretty much it, right? Yeah, that is really exciting. Um, there were also some uh, some events this weekend, and uh, you know, oh, yeah. a lot to talk about. Uh, we got a lot of let's say reactions to last week's episode. Um, so I think today what we're going to do, we're going to talk about Grand Prix Providence, which was legacy. So we'll, we'll have our legacy mm-hmm. talk. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about standard as in, uh, some, maybe some of the reactions and maybe some, uh, uh, just a little bit more about what we talked about last week. Maybe revisit that just a little bit. Um, the standard format that is, and then, uh, some kind of cool news that we had on the list for last week that we just never got to because we had such a huge episode with Flores that I basically didn't edit it. So uh it was it ended up being a two parter. I think I cut out, you know, I just I just added some little splices in there to uh to make it sound a little bit better, but I didn't really cut anything out of that episode. So what do you want to start with? Do you want to start with uh standard or legacy? I wanna honestly I wanna start with this news that you have because I know what it is. That, that sounds <laughs> cool. Okay. Yeah, the I mean, news you didn't mention last week. It's it's not like uh, I mean at this point, a lot of people may already be aware of a couple of these things. But um, first of all, the the community cup. There's that modern format that was announced. Yeah. Uh, have you heard about that? Yeah, sure have. Uh, everything using the new borders um, that was actually legal in the set that used the new borders. So nothing like nothing that was reprinted in like Knights versus Dragons or anything like that. But right. Like, Eighth edition forward and um, Mirrodin forward, yeah. Uh, with with some with some uh, um, I would say fairly appropriate bannings. Right, it's some like that I'm a little lands and stuff. Some that I find kind of questionable, like Golgari Grave Troll. Well, I think obviously they're just trying to make it harder for people to play Dredge. Now, I guess the the story behind this is every year they have a community cup of like 
people from the Magic Online community show up at Wizards and they play against the Wizards team, you know, like the Wizards of the Coast employee team that they put together. And it's just like, it's kind of like it's replaced the Invitational. It's a bunch of um, some different formats and things. And this is, this format was announced for this. And so it's just for this at the moment. But I think clearly they're kind of trying to uh, test the waters a little bit, see what the reaction is to this particular format, and then maybe make it available on Magic Online and then possibly in, you know, Paper Magic as well. Because, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about extended maybe they're looking for a replacement for extended uh because people don't seem to be happy with it even this new version that we've got nobody really seems to like it or or the majority doesn't seem to like it so they're it seems like they're trying to find some kind of mix and a lot of people were suggesting like overextended which would be like mini legacy maybe like masks block forward or invasion block forward this doesn't go so far back but um but this could be a potential replacement for extended uh, or just an additional new format. And like Joe said, it's like 8th edition forward, which includes Mirrodin. Uh, in general, the the rule of thumb will be if it has a new card frame, it's legal. But uh, that's not actually the <laughs> – that's not actually the, 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 the actual rule for the format. Right. Um, but what do you think of it? Good. What were you going to say? I think it's cool. I mean, like I'm always into like another format. You know, like I like I – like, I mean, we have a large – body of cards that we can, you know, play with, mm-hmm. you know? So, like, there's lots of room for things like like new formats. You know what I mean? Like, right. I wouldn't care if, like, I think it would be neat if they did, like, a a dual block format with, like, the original Mirrodin block and the new Mirrodin block. That would like, be pretty cool. I would like that. You know what I mean? Like, like a constructed format that way. Or, you know, something along those lines. Like, there's lots of room to play with, um, whereas, you know, some of them, like, something like that wouldn't be quite as intuitive um, or accessible to as many players. But, like, modern sounds fun. I mean, like, why not, you know? Um, I I don't think it even has to replace extended in its current form or has to replace legacy like obviously they wouldn't do at this point with legacy's popularity but it's a nice alternative for people who want to play with like a broader uh subset of their you know collection without having to invest in things like dual lands and force of wills and tarmogoyfs and well actually tarmogoyfs are in there i think yeah i'm not going to get into this argument but i'm just going to make a statement and let's move on i think stoneforge mystic is the reason why people are bored with extended but anyway um because it's just, I don't know. I think the, the card is super overpowered in any format that doesn't uh, have access to, like, force of will. But, um... <laughs> uh, I'll leave that one alone. I think it sounds cool. Um, yeah, as far as, the- like, as far as the, what people are talking about, like, the the modern format, it seems like, obviously, they, they kind of are nerfing Dredge by, um by removing Golgari Grave Troll from the format. And uh, Sensei's Divining Top is illegal. Oh, and then the, the Artifact Lands. And, um, yep. you know, so they're, they're trying to hose Affinity, you know, not make that be so dominant. But the other thing to uh, keep in mind, this is just for the Community Cup. They may decide to change this if they were to introduce it to the mainstream. So uh, that's right. something we can just keep an eye on. The uh, the other bit of news is, of course, uh, we're getting little bits and pieces of information about Magic 2012, uh, yes. coming out this July. Um, there was an article for, called The Mechanics of M12, which was on the uh, the mothership, 
we've got uh, a new keyword, Hexproof, which for those of you who have been playing for a while is just Troll Shroud. You know, that was what the community always called it. It's uh, this creature can't be the target of spells or abilities your opponents control. And then we've got the uh, new terminology, Dies. So, like, when something is put into the graveyard from the battlefield, I think basically this is only going to be applied to creatures. Uh, the example they have here is Archon of Justice, which was, uh, you know, when Archon of Justice is put into the graveyard from the battlefield, exile target permanent. Like, I, I, I always find it amusing when people, like, start, like, well, why don't you do this instead? Why don't you use Troll Shroud instead of Hexproof? I don't like dies. It sounds too simple. Like, I think that those arguments are funny because... We've always taken the very objective stance of here's what we have, here's what we now have in, in the game, you know? like Yeah. The whole thing for me is like I'm, I'm fine with it. You know what I mean? I'm not like, yes, this yeah. is awesome. I'm like, this is – that's fine. Cool. When it dies or if I say yeah. when it goes to the graveyard, everybody – you know, we know what we mean. Just like when people say EDH instead of commander or even type 2 instead of standard. Like I know what people are talking about. Now there's just – it's just a, like a synonym, right? What is it? What's the big deal? So, returning keyword, we get Bloodthirst back in M12, which was a, a keyword from Ravnica Block, which was pretty awesome. And I, I'm excited to uh, to get that back. I always thought that was a good keyword where the, we get a spoiled card here, Gorhorn Minotaurs, which is a 3-3 for red, red, and 2, common. A Minotaur. Uh, yeah, it's a Minotaur warrior. Love the Minotaurs. Uh, Bloodthirst 2. If an opponent was dealt damage this turn, this creature enters the battlefield with 2 plus 1 plus 1 counters on it. So, basically... Uh, turn four, you uh, swing in with whatever, you know, your uh, Gray Ogre that you played on turn three, and mm-hmm. your, your opponent doesn't block, and they take two, and then you play your land and tap four and play Gorhorn Minotaurs, and now this comes into play as a 5-5. Five, five. One of the big creatures that was played with Bloodthirst back in uh, Ravnica block was Scab Clan Maulers, I want to say. I think so, yeah, that sounds right. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a, yeah, Scab Clan Mauler. It was a green and a red for a 1-1. One, one. Uh, it had Bloodthirst 2 and Trample. So you'd, like, turn 1 or turn 2 just attack with something uh, and then uh, play this guy and he'd be a 3-3 three, three Trample. So that was yeah. you know, pretty good, pretty good card. Uh, he was in Guild Pact. And then Dungrove Elder is the other new spoiler we have for Hexproof. It's a green rare for green and 2. Creature Tree Folk. Pretty cool looking art by Matt Stewart. Um, Hexproof. Tree folk. Right, it, it is a Tree Folk. That's what I said. Some of these, yeah, some of these, uh, some of these creature types, it's really exciting to see them uh, revisiting them in the core set. It's really cool. Right, I think they're perfect for core sets, like this kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they're classic fantasy creature types. Minotaur, Tree Folk, things like that, so it's awesome. So uh, this guy's Hexproof, and his power and toughness are each equal to, num- to the number of forests you control. So um, that's not too bad. Like, typically... Having something like that, obviously, this is encourage you you to play mono green and not just mono green, but mono forests if you can. Yeah. And uh, but I mean the fact that Which he's, I have no problem with. Yeah, I mean in general, on turn three, if you're playing three forests, well, you got a three three for three. With uh, the way green plays and the ramp spells, you could play him earlier, or also be like putting extra lands into play, things like that. Um, and the fact that he's got troll shroud, I think, is Maybe more relevant than people are giving him credit for. He may be ac- actually be a pretty decent card. I think so. I mean, that doesn't sound bad at all, right? Right. Uh, we know that Soren is being reprinted in M12. We have uh, a picture of him here with his M12 expansion symbol. Of course, he's a mythic. That's 
you know, as usual, as you'd expect. Um, right. So we know we know we're getting Soren now. So uh, the other kind of things that we know uh, is Gideon. We we knew that or from the artwork from the uh, the the wallpaper that they released for for Duels of the Planeswalkers, which I think I think the artwork was tied in with M twelve. We knew that Gideon that uh, Soren and Gideon were going to be uh, in the set, or at least it was very much heavily implied. What people weren't sure of was whether or not it was a reprint. You know, were we getting new versions of Soren, new Gideon, new Jace, new Chandra, new Garrick? Those are the five Planeswalkers we saw in that image. Uh, What we know now is Soren, it's the same Soren, no reprint. Gideon, same thing. Gideon was pictured at the end of a commercial that was... uh, that was made for Magic 2012, or I'm sorry, Duels of the Planeswalkers 2012. Uh, which, D12. Yeah, D12 is is the, the shortened term for it. So for D12, they released a, a commercial, and at the end, it shows like the, the five Planeswalker cards, but they're kind of fanned, so you can't really see the ones behind, but the one on top is Gideon, and he's got the M12 expansion symbol. So we know Gideon is being reprinted in M12. Um, mm-hmm. From that same commercial, what you could tell was that it looks like Jace, Garrick, and Chandra are all getting either new versions or new art. Because really? you, can, you can tell from the sliver of the art that it's not it doesn't match up with the art that we have. Um, Whoa. So we know they're at least getting new art. And the Garrick art has been spoiled from uh from a pro- from product images. There's some card sleeves for Garrick. And uh yeah it's just it's new art uh for sure. So we at least have that much. Um, That's exciting. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. There's also there's a, a promo image of Chandra, which I'm thinking may be the uh, the actual new art for Chandra as well. I don't know where it first appeared. I want to say it showed up in uh, in some sort of announcement for uh, M12. Speaking of Chandra, we did get another spoiler, which they announced the the Magic 2012 core set buy a box card, and that card is Chandra's Phoenix. And it is a red card for uh, for red red one. It's a two two flying haste, and it's a rare. Uh, whenever an opponent is dealt damage by a red instant or sorcery spell you control, or by a red planeswalker you control, return Chandra's Phoenix from your graveyard to your hand. So, being able to recur, uh, this is I think it's pretty relevant. Two two flying haste for three is not bad already. And nope. if if you're playing it in a red deck, which you obviously are. Uh, being able to get it back into your hand seems very likely. And it, it's no Vengevine, but it's kind of reminiscent of Vengevine a little bit. I really want to see how uh, how much further back to the classic fantasy feel they go for Innistrad with Richard Garfield on the team. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Like that's super exciting. Like um, Innistrad just sounds like vampires, doesn't it? But mm-hmm. like it just seems like there won't be any good vampires left. <laughs> it seems like that'd be a big stretch to try to really push vampires after all of the vampires rotate, you know, like, right. Well, the key, the phrase for it, or like the tagline is uh horror lurks within. So it's definitely something along those lines. I mean, I would, I can't imagine that they would release a set with zero vampires in it. It could be very heavily vampires, like you said, but it could be kind of just very, horror related a lot of zombies that kind of thing it could be vampires oh uh, my god tell me it's gonna be a lot of zombies man <laughs> i mean i don't know a horror based set seems uh it seems likely that there's gonna be some kind of zombie in the set 
it'd be based off of like horror movies. It'd be like a Freddy Krueger planeswalker. Yeah. Be awful. <laughs> so I mean, that was that's the news that I had. It was basically just modern and M twelve, but we didn't really talk about them. Um, M twelve release date is July fifteenth. The pre release events are July 9th and tenth. Actually, I found the the Magic twenty twelve announcement, and that was where I saw the Chandra artwork. So. Uh, I, I think that's going to be her Planeswalker artwork, whether it's a new version of the card or just new artwork. But that's something that, that I talked about, you know, when I think when we were talking about M11, so last year this time, we were, we were speculating what Planeswalkers are we going to get? Are they going to re- reprint the same ones that have already been reprinted, you know, in Lorwyn and then in M10? Are they really going to give us the same five in, in M11? Um, and I was like, well, at least give us new artwork. You know, at least make it appealing to people who have already cracked these in a ton of packs. I know you and I had, like, kind of a pretty good episode uh, discussing about why, uh, I think, the different sides. I think we both had different opinions on them reprinting the same Planeswalkers. Uh, oh, over sure, and over yeah. And, or just reprinting Mythics, basically, is what the, the over. Yeah, that's right. We were talking about possibly... thing was. Yeah, like, reprinting them as Mythics again. It's like... Uh, like, how many times do you want to open Platinum Angel? Right. Yeah, it's getting... That uh, was your argument, yeah. And I, I can agree with that, yeah. But, yeah, like, um, you, you brought it up about being, for limited, is probably the, the biggest reason to not have, not move those to rare. So, uh, understandable, but um, I think the fact that we're at least getting new artwork is really good, because at least now we're going to have uh, something exciting. You know, if I open up a, a Jace, I'm going to be excited even if it's Jace Bellerin, even though I have six of those with two different artworks, you know, I'll have another artwork that'll be different and it'll be another option to, to play with that I, I get excited by cards artwork. So that's, that's cool for me. I think that based on what they did with the uh, Planeswalker related cards from M11, um, like Jace's Ingenuity and Jace's Erasure, um, I think that we can gather that they are moving from like an uncommon cycle in M11 to a rare cycle in M12 for for Planeswalker-related cards. Mm-hmm. I'm curious now to see what that... Remember, did you see those, like... There was a card that was, like, Gideon's something. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Rare. Yeah, there's a okay, picture, yeah. picture of it. Yeah, there's actually... It has artwork. So tell me about that. So it's Gideon's Avenger. It's a white, yeah. white one. So it costs three. It's a 2-2 for white, white, one. It's a creature, human, soldier, rare. Whenever a creature an opponent controls becomes tapped, put a plus one, plus one counter on Gideon's Avenger. So that's perfect with Gideon, right? You know what I mean? Like make your guys attack all of them. You know, however many you see, you got three guys. They all tap. Gideon's Avenger is now a 5-5 block. One of your little guys seems really good (laughs) with, uh, with Gideon. Right. Yeah, that's great. Um, so, yeah, so it really does seem like they're going to stick with the original three, probably give them new artwork, you know, the three that they, that are being reprinted from the core set. Uh-huh. Give them new artwork, but stick with their original abilities. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, another spoiler, and this one's actually been confirmed by uh, MTG Aaron on Twitter, which is uh, Aaron Forsyth, um, is Furyborn Hellkite. Uh, it's a six, right. Yeah, it's a six six. It's a mythic rare. It's a six six dragon for red, red, red four. So a converted mana cost of seven. Um, Bloodthirst six, and it's flying. So if you deal any damage at all, you know, on turn seven, and then 
play this guy or whatever turn it is. But this guy works a little bit better with Koth than, uh, <laughs> you know, if you can yeah. use his uh, his second ability to get the mana out of him and drop this guy pretty early. But again, it's just a big dumb flyer. You know, like it, it's it's got evasion, so that's good. But it's just uh, it dies to everything except for right. probably four lightning bolts. Um, <laughs> oddly, it dies to exactly four lightning bolts. <laughs> but if if it's any indication um, uh, from like what we heard earlier in the year, lightning bolt won't be coming back this year. Right. So it dies to everything else. <laughs> right. You need to uh, kick burst lightning three times. Um, you know, a card I'd really love to see in the course set this year. Just, just not not even speculation, but just wishful thinking. Hmm. Vampire Nighthawk. Yeah, I mean, he's a nice classic, uh, you know, classic name. Nothing related to, to Zendikar. Uh, it's got classic abilities, evergreen abilities, feels, right? Feels super classic to me. Right. I love that card. I could see that happening. I, I could. I mean, even in Innistrad, you know, like we like this guy yeah. so much, we brought him back. You know, um, yeah. No actual break from him, but then again, we haven't had a break from like the original five Planeswalkers ever, have we? I mean, Lorwyn. By the time Lorwyn rotated out, M10 was around, right? So right. um, they're not opposed to doing that. Uh, so really quick, looking at GatheringMagic.com at their spoilers, um, we've got Archon of Justice, Gideon Jura, Gideon's Avenger. These are what we've already mentioned. Illusory Bear. I think this is just a rumor. It's a 2-2 for a blue creature illusion. When Illusory Bear becomes a target of a spell or ability, it dies. So – Illusory Bear may not be its name. I think they gave it that name because it's a 2-2. Right. That'd be my guess. But a 2-2 for one. So uh, in, in blue, it's, it's, you know, blue's little version of Goblin Guide. And whenever it becomes a target of a spell or ability, it dies. I think, you know, what are you targeting it with that you weren't going to – wasn't going to kill something anyway? You know, like you're reading a target. That sounds awesome. Sounds actually pretty good. So I don't know what the uh, – the rarity is unconfirmed. And, of course, the card itself is unconfirmed. But that's uh, that's a rumor from M- MTG Salvation. Uh, Send Your Vampire is apparently um, being reprinted. And, that makes me very happy. Yeah. It's just a classic. Uh, Soren Markov, Furyborn Hellkite, Flame Blast Dragon is another one that, uh, that Aaron Forsyth tweeted and said was being Correct. reprinted. That one, if you guys remember, is from uh, Shards of Alara. Uh, Gorehorn Minotaurs, we mentioned Chantra's Phoenix, Dungrove Elder, and Giant Spider is the only creature surviving from Alpha, only card surviving from from Alpha all the way through to M12. I used to collect Giant Growths when I was very young. I remember this that. This makes me sad. I know. This makes me sad. Like not 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 like I'm disappointed with their decision or anything. Like. Just, just on a nostalgia level, it just makes me sad because of those two giant growths was like, was my homeboy, you know. Yeah, I, I didn't really have but, a, have a, a a side on either of these, but just the fact that there's only one card remaining from the original Alpha, like I never really thought about it. Uh, whatever card it was going to be, would have triggered this, you know, thought process. But like, wow, our original game that came out, <clears throat> this is the only card that's left of it. It's kind of uh, yeah. It is kind of sad, but you can uh, revisit all those old cards in Legacy. So <laughs> you sure can. I could actually mention a couple random things that I thought were hilarious. Okay. Um, we were talking. You were you mentioned um, a few minutes ago about Platinum Angel or the Planeswalkers not being able to be uh, printed in the core set at rare due to um, you know uh, 
frequency of seeing them in limited. Uh-huh. Um, on third, uh, last Thursday night, and you were here for this, last Thursday night, uh, my buddy David Nizamoff, um, Nizaster on, um, with a Z, Nizaster on Twitter, uh, for those of you who want to follow him, um, we opened sealed pools of uh, Zen, 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 World Wake, World Wake, World Wake, because he was dying to crack the packs, and uh, we figured we'd get some games in him while in with them while we were at it. So in my three packs of World Wake, I opened two Nova Blast worms. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> Isn't that silly? Like, like I said, like at the time, that could have been two Jaces. Right, right, exactly. Theoretically. <laughs> I mean, theoretically, that could have been two Jaces out of three packs, right? Or the odds were that 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 you would have gotten one Jace and one Nova Blast Worm over getting two Nova Blast Worms. You know, yeah, seriously, right? It's just like that's so so ridiculous. I mean, how random though. I was so happy to see them though. I was like, guess I'm playing green white. Oh well. (laughs) Yeah, I would have been a little happier to see the blue guy, Jace, that one. Yeah. yeah, sure, but they weren't my cards. Oh, that's true. Well, still, I'm not happy for David. Um, well, sure, yeah, of course. Um, speaking of awesome cards and limited, um, I just want to briefly mention my F&M performance on Friday. Um, we needed an eighth person for draft, so reluctantly I had to get paid to work and play Magic at the same time. Um, Bad beats. So, such a shame. It makes me sad inside. Um, so I drafted blue white like I do, and um, I drafted uh, a random um, what's the card? Shriekhorn from the Besiege pack. I was like, well, I'll grab one of these. Maybe I'll maybe I'll get a win condition out of it, you know. And then uh, wound up with a Vidalcan Infuser, which is the one that's every upkeep you can put a charge counter on target artifact. Mm-hmm. Right, so I was like, "Well, there's a win condition right there. That's like a two-card combo in, in in limited. That's you know, effective as a backup plan." And then in my Scars of Mirrodin pack, I open a gr- uh, grind clock. So I'm like, "All right, then. I guess that's what's happening." And then I I, I like, uh, and then I dra- and then I drafted a um, steady progress, a few other things. Um, so basically, the deck I made was like. Blue white walls with like with like decking for my finish. Like and it was kind of silly. Um, I didn't expect to do too great with it, but I, I'm always using blue white in in. And I had two dispatches out of pack one, you know. So like I had some good stuff. I had a lot of great removal. Um, I had a tumble magnet that was like pick. Ten, and I was like, "Why is this coming to me? What is wrong with you people?" I just couldn't believe it. But anyway, um, I had two mere sires in the deck, which is a one-one for two. When it dies, you make a one-one. Mm-hmm. So I just kept like putting creatures in the way of people's stuff, <laughs> and then would just and then death them. I did. I won three of my four games that I won because I went two o one, finished in first place, won some packs. Finished two oh one, winning three of my four games with Grind Clock. That's awesome. It felt like nineteen ninety eight all over again. It was such <laughs> a good feeling. So that was pretty awesome uh, being able to use Grind Clock like that. Yeah. Uh, Living dream for once. And the last time I got to use it was at the pre-release. I remember um, I actually decked somebody with the Grind Clock. 
<laughs> pre-release, which was cool. So we had a lot of a uh, lot of reactions last week to our standard discussion with uh, with Mike Flores. Um, Mike, obviously, very uh, very convinced and very confident in his deck choice as bl- uh, the blue red Splinter Twin deck as being able to unseat Callblade as the best deck in standard uh, post New Phyrexia. So. A lot of people kind of argued about that. People did not seem to want to hear that, which, uh, you know, and there were a lot of people that agreed or were, were happy to hear it. Um, the, the funny thing that I think is a lot of the negative feedback came from the same players who were complaining about Callblade. So you'd think these guys that are like, I can't stand Callblade, I can't stand it, would be like welcoming of the opinion of a master theorist of the game who's predicting the end of Callblade's dominance. But no, it's the same guy. So it, ma- it makes me wonder, like, what do these people really want? Do they want a good format or do they just want to stir up drama? I, I, I think that that has a lot to do with it. I mean, like, you know, I feel like a lot of dissenting opinions come from, you know, uh, the need for attention. Because if you just agree, 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 no one's going to pay attention to you, you know? Right. But, like, if you disagree about something, it stands out because it's more controversial. Yeah. So I mean, it's just people that want to uh, – want to. it seems like people just like to complain, and we know that. I guess it shouldn't be mm-hmm. a surprise. Uh, but it's just like, hey, I want to complain about Callblade. Well, guess what? Callblade may be on the decline. Oh, you're crazy. You're wrong. You're an idiot. I don't care if you've been writing about magic since the, the mid-'90s um, and have a pedigree of decks you've designed and, you know – are, are pretty much one of the well, most well-known game theorists in Magic the Gathering. You're an idiot. You're obviously an idiot. And I know more about, about the game. I've been playing since, like, I'm 11. Come on. It's just ridiculous. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, it's fine, um, to, it's fine to disagree. I'm not saying you shouldn't ever disagree with people. But to outright the, – the kind of things that we're getting, like to outright call Mike Flores a moron and act like he doesn't know what he's talking about, that's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, like, uh, I, it's fine to disagree. Like, I'm not saying if you, you just say, I disagree with that, that's, that's, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I encourage people to disagree, but there's a, there's a difference between disagreeing and just outright saying, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. You know what's, what's Im- really impressive to me? Mike Flores, uh, Mike Flores does not go out and play the Star City games you know, open series every week. He's not out there constantly playing Magic. He basically plays on Moto. Uh, more often than anything else, at least from from the information that I, I understand, as I understand it. So he goes out, this is how good of a player he is. You know what I mean? He's not out playing all the time. He shows up at this tournament and wins it against the mm-hmm. best deck, and people want to say he's no good, and it's, oh, it's one tournament. But he's not a guy that just grinds tournaments all the time. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, he, play, only, he plays on Moto. Not only goes out and wins a tournament against the best deck, Mm-hmm. But against the best player playing the best deck right now, Edgar yeah, Flores. Absolutely. You know, um, just look at his finishes. Look at his pedigree. That's all you have to do. And 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 it's a no-brainer. Right. Um, yeah. You know, so, like, Mike Flores, you know, crawls out of his uh, his life cave of solitude and, and enters the tournament and just tears it down, you know? And it's awesome. Yeah. He's, he's, he's a master, you know? How many books do you have published, Edgar Flores? Holla. No, I'm, just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, but um, you know, so I mean, I, I think that the deck's really strong. But you see, here's here's the thing that I've been thinking about over the last week mm-hmm. um, about Flores, right? I mean, Flores, if he's he's a he's a deck building master, right? He mm-hmm. is. People 
say, you know, and it's probably, you know, based on results-oriented thinking, that he's not the best player. You know, um, so that's obviously working against him already. <laughs> but here's the thing about Mike, and here's the thing about his decks. Mike builds decks for a tournament. He doesn't build them for a format. And I think that also might be one of the things that's lost in his own argument from last week, mm-hmm. is that he builds a deck that's going to take over, that's going to win the metagame at the particular event he's building for. Right. You know what I mean? He's He's never really looking at the long-term format when he builds a particular deck. Right. Is, is, that, is that an accurate statement? Yeah, and I think that's what most of the very successful players do. I mean, and look at, uh, you know, look at Callblade. Callblade isn't the same deck it was when it started either. It evolves. It's the same, you know, archetype, and I, conti- I, I would think uh, Splinter Twin archetypes would evolve too, but you're right. This 75 was what he put together to be good for this tournament, and taking it the same 75 the next week is not going to have the same kind of – or not as likely to have the same kind of success for any number of reasons. But uh, one being now people are more aware of it, right? And now right. people and are, are – you know, it's, it's a known factor. People are going to prepare for it. Right. And um, the, other, the other thing is that, you know, to, to, I think that the call of the, – the call of the death of Call Blade is premature because, again – he built that deck for that week. And I know that, like, I'm sure that playing the deck, you know, a lot of times he designs a deck and gives it to somebody and they win. You know what I mean? For him to go out firsthand and smash Callblade with the deck, I can see where he might be a little slanted towards saying something like, this deck is better than Callblade, and Callblade, if people adapt to playing his deck, isn't going to be as, you know, dominant as it was. Right. And but the thing is... That's another thing. Like he, he didn't say, you know, it's not the death of Callblade. It's just no longer the best deck in his opinion. Sure. But Callblade evolves. You know yes. what I mean? Like, Callblade has evolved through all of the all of these uh, obstacles that have been thrown its way. You know, Callblade is, is known for, um, you know, the, the ways that it can adapt uh, to, uh, to stop the hate. Mm-hmm. You know? So I don't think that... Um, I mean, I... Again, I wouldn't be surprised to see seven of the top eight decks be running, you know, to be Callblade variants or at least Stoneforge Mystic decks, mm-hmm. you know, in the next, in um, even in the Invitational um, this weekend. Right. But, uh, I mean, obviously time will tell. Um, I'm not the, uh, you know, I'm not the Nostradamus of magic. I'm just some guy with a beard. Um so I don't know, but uh, yeah. So th- I guess what it is is yes, uh, Callblade has evolved, and now it now what it needs to do is evolve to beat Splinter Twin, or at least prepare right. for Splinter Twin. the The question is, and this is what we don't know yet, is can it evolve to fight Splinter Twin and still have game against other decks? The, that's the whole thing. Is it's a whole the whole part of metagaming, like for a tournament. What do you expect to see if you build your deck to be able to beat Splinter Twin? If, I, if I'm taking Callblade and I want to make sure I want to beat Splinter Twin. Well, what happens now if I don't beat, I don't play Splinter Twin the entire time, and now I get wrecked by vampires because I didn't, you know, bring the right cards. I didn't pack the right hate. So it's like what Mike is doing is now he's presenting another option, another really strong option that Callblade players can't ignore and have to prepare for, 
which weakens their game against other decks that have different strategies than Splinter Twin would. So it's it's just can Callblade manage to do it? And it's just again, it's another deck. It's another option too. So uh, you know, it's it's still way too early to tell. But I've been seeing and hearing more and more reports and comments favoring Mike's arguments. Um, people that are piloting the blue red twin decks are wrecking Callblade. I don't think I've heard one person playing twin say, I don't like it, I want to switch back to Callblade. Like, I th- it seems like everybody that tries Twin and actually puts test into it, testing uh, and time into it, like, they like it. They have been wrecking Callblade. Um, on an- another front, Larry Swayze, uh, who uh, who is one of the Star City Games uh, open series guys, shows up. He's, he's done well at some Star City events. Um, he's been... Amazing in Point Break. What's that? Uh, <laughs> no, this is Larry Swayze. Um, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> so uh, he actually won a PTQ. I believe it's the PTQ that they had at GP Providence, which of course those okay. are the, those are the kind of the hardest PTQs because all the pros or all the all the really good players, obviously the pros that are already qualified, don't tend to play in them. But the the competition there is pretty pretty big. They're usually big events because it's at a Grand Prix. Um, I believe Larry won that PTQ, and he played against Bing Luke, uh, uh, MTGO uh, stalwart, um, in the finals. Larry was playing his trademark blue-green aggro, or Simic aggro deck, as we were calling it in Boston. Um, he's, right. he's been playing this deck for months, just modifying it with new cards and for each tournament, but he's pl- been playing blue-green aggro through an all-callblade top eight, from what I understand. Uh, so he went right through the top eight against Callblade. He's... He, um, he was playing Phyrexian Metamorph in his deck, Spellskite, and Consecrated Sphinx, all of which he said overperformed. Um, and he'll be playing awesome. he'll be playing this deck or some slight variation to it if he makes any changes uh, at the Invitational this weekend. He did say he wants another Phyrexian Metamorph. I think he played three, or he may want three. May have, may have, I've got uh, one for trade. Uh, well, you can let him know. Um, anyway, uh, he went undefeated in the event and drew into the top eight. Um, some of the other decks he played against were Splinter Twin a couple of times, Callblade several times, Soul Sisters, and Esper Tez build, which was basically blue-black control, like blue-black Tezzeret splashing for Stoneforge Mystic. Um, he played against like a Bant Blade list that I know Matt Ferrando, uh, a New York player, New York area player, has been uh, playing a Bant Blade list, like basically Callblade with green. Um, I don't know if Matt Ferrando is the one who he played against, but I know that that was uh, the, the deck archetype that he beat. So he obviously... It wasn't like he dodged Callblade or just played it once. Um, he his uh, comments on Twitter, I think in round two, he was like two zero crushed Callblade, you know, in in this in round two or whatever it was that he happened to, to do uh, do that in. But he's pretty confident. I mean, there's decks out there. Gavin Verhey's article this week mentions Elves, which has actually been showing up here and there it, because it's taking advantage of the lack of Day of Judgment in Callblade decks. So Elves right. decks are showing. I know there was one, a Mid- Midwest Master Series qualifier, uh, and Elves deck came in second. Um, you know, people are playing Elves. It's actually n- not a bad choice right now. So there's there's choices. It just depends on what you, what you want to choose. And um, I, I think again, it's way way too soon to tell where things are going. But it's also soon too soon to say Callblade is still the best deck or Callblade is going to continue being the best deck until rotation, like, or at least until M12 like that. I think that's too early to say that. Want to talk about legacy? Oh yeah. So legacy this past weekend, we had grand prix Providence and, uh, as expected, mental misstep was all over the place. Correct. Did you expect that? 
Uh, <laughs> um, the winner was James Rinkowitz, who uh, he's one of the guys that he's a legacy player from. Uh, uh, I'm not sure where he's from. I think maybe the Boston area, Northeast. I know. I think he plays Jupiter Games uh, a lot, and he's also been to a, a number of Star City events. He's actually done pretty well uh, in a couple other ones. He took first place back in November with a, a survival blue green survival list uh, in the legacy portion, and uh, played Bant Survival back at the. Uh, at the open series in Richmond when we were there, it was, I guess, alongside the invitational. Um, yeah. So he, and he played, uh, placed fourth there. So he's a name, uh, a recognizable name, but he's not like one of the pro players. And what they've been saying about the legacy GPs is they're almost always won by some pro. Like, even though all these legacy players, these the guys that only play legacy would go to the event and, uh, do well, it was seemed like it always was won by like a pro player. Well, this one finally, uh, for the legacy community, James Rinkowitz takes us down, um, playing a, a Bant deck with no force of wills. Uh, and I think people were really impressed by that. I mean, he's got blue and there's no force of will. He basically plays Brainstorm, Daze, which of course he can play for free, and Mental Misstep, which of course he can play for free. Um, he's got a Dispel in the sideboard. Um, he actually has three Mental Missteps in the main and one in the sideboard. He's got Rock's War Monk. Um, he's got Spell Pierce in the sideboard. And, uh, but basically, it's it's a it's a Bant deck. I mean, he's got Vendillion Click, two copies of that in the main deck too. Um, but it's like a Bant creature deck, kind of mid range, uh, taking advantage of some of the best creatures in blue, white, and green. Birds of Paradise, Knight of the Reliquary, Noble Hierarch, Kasali Pride Mage, Stoneforge Mystic, which can grab uh, the main deck Umazawa's Jite, Sword of Feast and Famine uh, that he's got there. No Batter Skull uh, in this deck, which is notable because the talk of the tournament. Uh, pretty much throughout the weekend was the fact that uh, Stoneforge Mystic and Batterskull were making mass appearances in uh, in a lot of uh, top performing decks. Um, a lot of the blue white standstill players were main decking or at least sideboarding for Stoneforge Mystic in the deck with uh, with like Batterskull and sort of uh, a fire and ice and uh, basically a. It, Owen Turtenwald is the only one who made top eight, but he he was playing this kind of version of the deck. Uh, four Stoneforge, one Vendillion Click as his creature base, and then Batter Skull. Uh, it says sort of body in mind here on the list. I I don't know if that's supposed to be sort of fire and ice because I thought that's what he was playing, but that's not here in the list. It seems like an odd choice, <laughs> but I guess he could have been playing sort of body in mind. I didn't actually get to see any of the coverage this could be a mistyped deck list at the moment but um anyway uh, that i think that's been a surprise like for people people not necessarily the stoneforge mystic which has been showing up in legacy but how much batter skull was in the tournament and, and showing up everybody expected a bunch of mental missteps nobody expected a bunch of batter skulls um right i know chapin in his article compared batter skull to kind of like it's kind of like a tarmogoyf like you know people were play Tarmogoyf on turn two and it's usually pretty small and, you know, it grows and it's a really good creature. Uh, Batterskull alongside Stoneforge Mystic is kind of like a five, six lifelink vigilance creature. Like, because you can yeah. just put it on the Stoneforge Mystic. Um, the fact that it brings a creature with it, you don't even have to do that. Um, that surprised me. I mean, I know I was, I was talking to uh, KYT on Skype, uh, KYT of Mana Deprived and uh, the A-Team and Crazy Talk. Uh, I talked to him on Skype on Friday night, and we were talking about 
Stoneforge Mystic and, uh, you know, being, being good with Batter Skull and the fact that it showed up like on mass in this tournament was pretty cool. Uh, pretty crazy. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it's great. I mean, I think it's funny cause my buddy Noyan was, uh, you know, after last week's, um, episode, I, I felt, I don't think he really was, but it sounded to me like he was trying to like, kind of, uh, um, kind of maybe troll. Well, he's always trying to troll me, but like kind of trying to fire me up a little because he was saying like, you know what the breakout card is of the tournament? Stoneforge Mystic. And I was like, yep, fair game. Legacy. You know what I mean? Like totally different when it's legacy because it's, uh, you know, there's just lots of, uh, there's lots of different strategies. There's lots of different stuff you can do. So I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Reed Duke also made top eight with a, like a, a natural order rug list. Uh, Paula Vitor Domita Rosa was playing like a bug standstill list. Um, basically, it looks like he's a like a, a blue black standstill, but he splashed for Life from the Loam and Pernicious Deed. I um, mean, that's that's the only green cards in his uh, in his main deck. Um, in his sideboard, he has Maelstrom Pulse, just one copy of that. But other than that, that's the only green. Uh, so he did pretty well with that. And some people were saying, is that a function of the the deck or the pilot? <laughs> Because Paulo is certainly a ridiculously good player. Um, right. Wilson Hunter playing uh, Painter Servant, Grindstone deck, made top eight. John Kubilis playing uh, Zoo deck. Now, a lot of people said Zoo wasn't very good or wasn't uh, – actually was worse now because of mental misstep. But this guy obviously dodged that and uh, – or, or at least fought through it. Um, Alex uh, Majlaton playing Merfolk, uh, Owen Turtenwald playing the blue-white standstill. So that's the, uh, that's the top eight. And I know Drew Levin. What's that? Oh, I was going to say, like, going back to what we were talking about last week, the legacy top eight is eight different decks. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty awesome. Just, it's, it seems pretty diverse. Now, the, I know the guys on In Contention were talking about how it's maybe not so diverse because it's a bunch of Jace decks. Um, or, or at least they're not all Jace decks, but the quantity of Jace decks. Now they weren't looking at the top eight at the time. They were looking at the quantity of day two decks. Uh, so the top eight actually is a little bit more diverse than day two apparently appeared at the time they recorded. I actually just listened to their episode this morning, but they hadn't, uh, they hadn't seen the top eight at that point. Um, but they were talking about the concern for the format because mental misstep slows things down. Now Jace is better. The, uh, the other thing, you know, Stoneforge Mystic. Being, being there, like, is this too good for even legacy? Now, you know, you you obviously don't think so. I don't necessarily think so. But these are the questions they were bringing up on their episode. Um, and you know, mental misstep is that going to be? Is that making things actually worse in legacy? Now, I think, and and they said this too. It's too it's too early to tell. Like we've had these cards for very very few weeks. Not many big legacy events. Uh, we'll have to just see how things go. But they were saying, you know, if things continue this way, it looks like it's setting things up for another legacy banning. And uh, those guys definitely know what they're talking about as far as legacy goes. I don't know. I mean, I don't. I don't think that. Uh, I don't think that they should ban a Jace in uh, in legacy. I don't think they should ban Stoneforge Mystic. I don't think they should ban Mental Misstep. Frankly, like in legacy, like for for me right now, until the de- until the format seems to be dominated. And by dominated, you have to remember, I'm not looking at just who makes day two. I'm just looking at top eight. 
because that's the perception mm. is what we see in the top eight, like as like the most like casual of an observer of magic. They look at the top eights or the top 16s if those are posted and see what decks are there and see what decks seem to be dominating. And right now, it doesn't seem like any one deck or any one card is actually dominating the format or making it less diverse. Um, you know, simple fact is uh, the decks that are, you know, losing to mental misstep can also play mental misstep to counter mental misstep. So, I mean, if it becomes that big of a problem, at least everyone has access to the card. At least every deck can can play it if it's that big of an issue, and I don't see that as a bad thing, honestly. Like because it's not like green, green. You know what I mean? This yeah. spell is super powerful for just a green deck. You know what I mean? It's just like here's another here's another problem. How do we crack it? You know? Yeah. Now uh, something I wanted to bring up, and I just realized for whatever reason, one of the top eight decks is missing. I was going to say that seemed like it wasn't eight decks, and I counted, and it was seven. The missing deck is one of the more interesting decks, which was like a hive mind deck. Oh yeah, yeah, and it made the finals. And for some reason, it's not in the Wizards' coverage. I'm not really sure what the deal <laughs> is there. Um, all the other seven decks are there, but Brian uh, Elliot, I guess, is it kind of looks like you could say Elliot. He he made the finals with a hive mind deck. For those of you who might not even know about it, Hive Mind is an enchantment from M10, and it was a a blue and five, so it's a heavy casting cost enchantment. Whenever a player casts an instant or sorcery spell, each other player copies that spell. Each of those players may choose new targets for his or her copy. So the thing with Hive Mind is you have it in play, and then you play any of the Pacts from uh, Future Sight. So Summoner's Pact, uh, Pact of the Titan, um, Pact of Negation, any of that kind of thing, and you, you play it, and... You uh, you play it on your turn and you pass it, it copies right so your opponent now has a pact and on their upkeep they have to pay for it or they lose the game because that's how all the pacts have that uh you know have that stipulation during the upkeep pay this cost or you lose and if they can't pay the cost because you copied a spell that was maybe not in their colors you played a pact that wasn't in their colors then you just lose so. It's kind of it's kind of an interesting card, and the fact that it uh, well, it's it's an interesting deck that it actually could show up and perform well in Legacy. It just seems so weird, like giving people a spell, a copy of a spell normally would seem bad, but being able to uh, kind of trap them into an upkeep they can't pay and they just lose. It's it's really interesting. Um, one of the ways to fight it that people were suggesting actually doesn't work very well. People were saying, well, you just play Chalice of the Void on zero. So they can't play their packs, but that actually doesn't work. Basically, they they you, you still get a copy of the card, right? Chalice of the Void. You you know if you chalice on zero, whenever a player casts a spell with converted mana cost zero, uh, counter that spell. So they'll play the pact. So they cast the spell. It costs zero. And it counters, but it, at the same time, that triggers Hive Mind, so it puts a copy onto the stack. So what happens is you might have Chalice, but all you do is counter their copy of the pact or their their actual pact. Your the copy is placed directly onto the stack and doesn't get countered. So you still have to pay the upkeep. You still have that copy. You still have to pay the cost. So Chalice doesn't actually work. Um, the other way to fight it, people were saying, is playing uh, playing Days because. As long as you're not tapped out, their copy of Days isn't going to affect you. So you daze your own copy. You daze your own pact. 
the copy that I you see. get, right? So if uh, so, what will happen is they play a pact and it triggers and you have a copy and now you play days targeting your own copy. So they'll get a copy of days and they can use it to daze your days. But if as long as you're not tapped out, as long as you can pay the, the one, then that makes the hive mind player have to expend their resources and do it again. Like they need to play another pact now. They need to uh, actually have uh, – not to say that they wouldn't have another pact, but it just makes it a little bit more difficult for them to, to do it. Um, yeah. So unfortunately, I don't What's actually that? have the list. You know what deck Ancestral Vision was showing up in? Because people were talking about that on Twitter too. Yeah, well, some of the uh, the the standstill decks that uh, – like Drew Levin, they replaced standstill with Ancestral Vision. So instead of playing standstill, it's actually just blue-white kind of control with uh, with Ancestral Vision in place of standstill and uh, some Stoneforge Mystics and Batter Skulls. In fact, I'll bring up the list that I saw, which – That's uh, awesome. I think Patrick Chapin played a list very similar to like Jerry T and well, actually Jerry wasn't there. Jerry didn't play, but uh, Jerry, I think talked to Patrick about this list. And I think drew Levin played a similar list. Um, let me, all right. I, I was a, playing around with, uh, I was playing around with ancestral vision and Merfolk for a little while. Yeah. I remember that. I think the thing is in this deck, it's perfect because you have time. Like right. it's not uh you know, it's not like you don't have the time for it. So the uh, the deck that Patrick played, he called it Stoneblade because it's not Callblade. There's no Call. Um, and uh, he played four Stoneforge Mystics as his only creatures, one Batter Skull, one Sword of Fire and Ice as the equipment in the main deck. Uh, in the sideboard, he had Sword of Feast and Famine, another Batter Skull, uh, and no other equipment. Um, and then essentially kind of like Drew Levin and Jerry T's standstill list, uh, four Brainstorm, a Counterspell, four Force of Will, four Mental Misstep, two Repeal, two Spell Snare, four Swords to Plowshares, four Jace, four Ancestral Vision. And then uh, he played a Blink Moth Nexus in there to, to carry some equipment. He, he added it in as kind of like an extra land. I think um, I think he, he cut uh, something out of it. I think he cut a Vendillion Click and added Blink Moth Nexus, but he thinks that Vendillion click may be better instead. Um, but it, it, looking at the, he actually plays two wastelands and four Mistress Factory. Um, but essentially, he takes Drew and Jerry's lists, uh, cuts the standstill for Ancestral Vision, cuts uh, two counter spells, two repeals, and two spell snares. That's six cards to add um, stone four stone forges, and batter skull, and sword of fire and ice. And other than that, it's the same list, pretty much. I mean, the, the mana base is slightly adjusted, but for the most part, that's the list uh, the, of the main deck. So I really like the way this looks. This is kind of where the direction I want to go in with with blue-white control and legacy. Uh, or It's it's blue-white, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's, I was going to say it's blue-splashing-white, but really it, now it plays four Swords of Plowshares and four Stone Forge Mystic. So, yeah, I mean, definitely congratulations to Drew. Yeah, Drew came in 10th. Qualified Ninth, for... Ninth, I thought. Well, I, was it the 10th? I think it was 10th. Anyone else notable in the top 16 that's uh, queued now? Yeah, actually, um, shout out actually to Paul Lynch. Came in uh, 18th place. Not in the top 16, but I mean, he came in 18th. Oh, pretty, pretty cool. That's Tom, still awesome. Tom Martell missed top 16 on Breakers. Um, Brian DeMars, who is a Star City writer, um, was in uh, 12th place. 
Uh, Eric Froelich in 22nd place. Um, just trying to take a look at this list of names that jump out at me. Ben Friedman came in 33rd. He actually played at uh, my FNM a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, Ben's a cool, cool guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's great. So some, uh, some pretty good performances by some local guys that we know. And, uh, yeah, but, but Drew, congratulations to him for uh, qualifying for his first Pro Tour and qualifying for his first Nationals. Yeah, absolutely. Pretty awesome. I know he was he was really trying to take this down, or at least top eight, and I think he was actually disappointed. At least I, I know he probably is happy about qualifying too, but I think he had his sights set higher, which is understandable. Sure. So uh, let's wrap things up here. I'm going to mention a couple upcoming events, and then we have a couple uh, shout-outs. So this weekend, the Star City Games Open Series and Invitational in Indianapolis, June 4th and 5th. That's actually two events, or three, really. The, the Open Series Standard on Saturday, Open Series Legacy on Sunday. At the same time, the Invitational's happening. All kinds of side events. Huge weekend for uh, for the Star City Open Series. So if you can uh, can make it there, uh, I highly recommend it. Unfortunately, I can't make it there. but uh, If you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Uh, GP Singapore is also this weekend. It's uh, standard, so I'm gonna I'm excited to see what the people are going to be doing in standard in Singapore. Obviously, Callblade is the number one target. See if anybody can take it down. Um, and then in uh, in two weeks, Star City Open Series season two kicks off in Denver's Invesco Field, home of the Broncos, June 11th and 12th. So fantastic! That'll be awesome. So shoutouts. What do you got? Um, I have two players who play at my store at Amazing Spiral in Hamden um, who I wanted to say, um, you know, so long and thanks for all the fish. Um, uh, Albert Lau and Adam Feinstein, uh, both uh, dedicated drafters every week at our store, um, are both leaving. Uh, they graduated from Hopkins, and they're both uh, heading home. Uh, so I just wanted to say thanks. For you know, coming out every week and supporting our events and uh, and keeping our drafts afloat, frankly, um, because you know, without those guys, I don't know how many drafts we'd have got to fire, and I'm kind of scared. <laughs> um, I also wanted to give a shout out to Colleen Stone, who's also among that crew uh, who has not graduated. Thank God, uh, she will be back mid June, but she's home in Minnesota. Um, after her semester listening to our podcast and she let me know on an email the other day that she's been listening in so uh, I wanted to say hi and uh, hope you buy that collection with the underground scene in it um, <laughs> <laughs> how about you? Uh, just a couple I wanted to shout out to Ryan Spain of Limited Resources Podcast who's yeah. been recruited to work for Wizards of the Coast so uh, the ringer yeah, pretty awesome. Like, right out of the podcast into Wizards. Really, really cool. Unfortunately, can't podcast anymore, but I think he's willing to make that sacrifice for the gain. So, very, So are very we, cool. Wizards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we love doing this podcast, but so are we, Wizards. We'll totally, we'll totally cut it out. Just hire us both. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. We love sea metal. We love it. We want to live there. We want to live there so bad. Come on, man. But anyway, I wanted to shout out to Mr. Scotty Mack, who's been getting into Legacy a little bit. I think he's starting to build a Legacy collection. He's also, uh, I think, he told me he's also kind of cheating by by getting in, getting cards that are 
good in modern too by getting like dark confidants and tarmogoyfs and uh that kind of thing but it's cool to hear that he's actually getting into it uh speaking of legacy kyt of the crazy talk podcast a team mana deprived awesome guy i've been talking to him on skype a lot recently i've always known he was an awesome guy but shout out to kyt shout out to our, our buddy john medina haters gonna hate same thing mike flores people you know are gonna criticize you he knows he knows that we don't need to really even shout out to flores but he's awesome so i'm doing it anyway shout out real quick to bryce menard who uh who shipped me his legacy list and uh i think it was a pretty cool list and i didn't get a chance to talk to him about it but i'm gonna shout out to him anyway because he's an awesome guy so that's all for today we are yo mtg taps stop bitches stop you should have held that note a little longer (laughs) 